One of the things that you and I and every single person has in common is this. We all live with a certain amount of regret. Do you agree with me on that? Things from our past, we wish we could have a do-over, mulligan, rewind the videotape and say, God, if I could just redo that. So as we come to the communion, communion table uh, uh, today, I'm so glad we can say with the psalmist, you see this verse that's gonna be up here? You guys put that verse in Psalm 130, it says, it says this. I'll read it off my notes here if we don't have that. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness. Start with a uh, story about a wedding day disaster, and if you are married and you had something not go quite right on your wedding day, I guarantee you're gonna feel better after you hear this one, all right? Uh, here's the headline, this happened two years ago. Headline says, bride ruins $15,000 dress on wedding day. So this is a, a person who had all the money for things to go right, and it didn't quite go right. Article says in part, it's one of the most important days of your life, so it's only natural that most brides want all the attention on them on their wedding day. Unfortunately for one newly married woman, she attracted focus for all the wrong reasons after suffering an unfortunate accident of nature right before her first dance. The wedding planner was first alerted to the issue when she heard the dreaded words, we have an issue. After hearing what had happened, the planner told guests that there would be a short delay before heading to the bathroom to help clean up the bride from a terrible bout of diarrhea. Yeah, that's what I read thought too. Before she made it to the bathroom. The bride insisted the show go on despite the stench that she brought out of the bathroom with her on her dress, which the groom noticed. The newlyweds took their place on the floor to start the choreographed number. To our horror, said the planner, we watched as an oily stain spread across the mid-back of the gown. Things went from bad to worse and ended up with the couple feeding each other wedding cake with poop-stained hands. <laughs> oh, man. What does he say in his vows, like in, in horror or in, you know, pleasure? We, those of you who are married, are you feeling better about your wedding day already? Just like, you know what, honey, it was awesome. No poop on the dress, and, and we, were, we were great. Can you imagine they're standing in front of your guests? All eyes are on you, but for the wrong reason. Did you see what's on the back of her dress? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that every one of us, that if you were to look at the condition of our souls, that we all are poop-stained people. You go, I, I never really thought about that before, Jonathan, uh, put it that way, but that is the reality. In fact, the Bible often uses clothing as sort of a, a sense from the very beginning when God clothed Adam and Eve to the very end of the Bible when they're clothed in radiant garments. And, and so clothing is an indication of our condition before God, like in a metaphorical kind of way. And I want us to see when you and I live with regret and we, we have this sense of just shame and I, I'm not good enough, I feel inadequate. God, if you were gonna use someone, you'd definitely not use me because you know my past and I know my past, even if the people around me don't know things about me. God, that I know that I, I yeah, I guess you could say I'm a poop-stained kind of person. How do you deal with that? And what's the gift that God 
has paid for at the cost of his son's life that we can have an absolute change. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Zechariah. It's the second last book of the Old Testament and just before Malachi, just after his friend Haggai and just want to say uh, welcome, all of you here in person, those of you online, so grateful to have you and to be on the journey of what does it look like to love Jesus, to experience him in our lives and, and experience freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Now, let me just say this, that the, the purpose of Zechariah, he's with his friends Haggai. They've come back after years, decades of captivity by Babylon and, and they come back and the you know, the city has been burned down. The temple is destroyed. And so Haggai and Zechariah are going, hey, folks, you got to build the, rebuild the temple because this is the place you worship God. And they're talking about that. And, and in the process, they're saying, and we want your hearts. We want your hearts to be in the, in the hands of God and to be fully devoted to him and that whatever regrets you have from the past, you can be forgiven. He's going to tell us how. Let me just say, as we're looking at Zechariah, you can trust you can trust this book that what you're reading today is the same words that Zechariah wrote like 2,500 years ago. In fact, this past March, there, you'll see a picture in a second, but there's the Jewish Antiquity uh, Authority. They discovered some scrolls uh, that after a four-year archaeological dig, remember the Dead Sea Scrolls? Maybe you've heard about them, found in 1948. They found some more. And there included the 12 minor prophets. And there's fragments from Zechariah and Nahum. And so uh, they have this. And, and so it, and, and you, you read that and you go, wow, the fragments are the same as, as what it was, you know, what Zechariah wrote 2,500 years ago. And so solid evidence to know that the Bible didn't evolve over time, that these newly discovered manuscripts are just like our Bible uh, today. Uh, if you guys haven't put that picture up, you're welcome to put it up for a second since I said it would be there. Now, we don't have time to study all of Zechariah's prophecy, but I want us to zero in on one vivid scene in the book, chapter three, great illustration of how you and I can be set free from the burden of guilt. Now, some background info. Um, in the Old Testament, the priests were those who sort of presided over the religious life of the nation of, of Israel, the people of God. And there was hundreds of priests, but there was just one high priest, and this high priest was like the guy, right? And you knew it by the clothing that he wore, was specially designed, and, and he was the only one who could go into the very inmost, most holy place, you know, where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, and he would go in, it was one time a year, he would go in with blood, and he would offer a little sacrifice, and, and it was just amazing. And, and, and it, Moses said in Exodus chapter 28, he says, I want you to have special clothing for this high priest, and it was directions uh, directly from God. And, and it was just this amazing, you know, like priestly garments and, uh, and emblazoned across his clothing, it said holiness to the, to the Lord. And, um, and that's, what, that's what this high priest would, would have. His clothes were specially designed, completely clean, if a wedding dress is important to a bride and having it just right, the high priest's clothes were exponentially more so. I mean, after all, he's come before God himself, you know, on behalf of the people, which brings us to the scene that we're looking at here today. High priest, whose name is Joshua, different Joshua than the guy marched around the walls of Jericho. It's a different Joshua. Standing before God, 
which was obviously an incredible moment, but something goes terribly wrong. Verse one of chapter three, here's what we, here's what we read. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in what? In filthy clothes, right? Filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. Those words right there say it all. Filthy clothes, sort of like that bride. Poop-stained dress only. This was even, if that was awkward, this was more awkward because you're coming before the very God of the universe and it's a disaster. Joshua has these filthy clothes. It was a clear indicator of the guilt that not only he carried, but the sins of the people as well. Friends, if you want a picture of how you and I stand before God, this is it right here. That if we're honest with ourselves, we have regrets from the past. There are things that even maybe the person sitting closest to you doesn't know, the person who's nearest to you in life that you go, yeah, I've not really told them about that. That is just, that is so humiliating. And God sees it all. And we stand before him and there's this sense of great regret. I, I was reading a letter this week, a guy who uh, just crushed a person that he really cared about, and, and here's what he wrote. He writes to the person, he says, each day from me I remember and envy my old self for what I once had and how happy I was and how I lived my life to the fullest. I was able to be myself, and you accepted me and enjoyed life with me, but I crushed your feelings, walked all over the relationship, grabbed your heart and threw it. I lied. I can't change that, I hate that. People make mistakes, some reversible and others not. How stupid I was. I had signs pointing at me, telling me not to do this and I sit here daily thinking, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Every one of us has those kind of things in our lives, right? We look back and we go, why did I do that? Like, why was I so stupid? And if we had sort of a time, in fact, I won't confess my own sins, but I would like to confess my wife Mary's. Mary, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> right, I, if we had a confessional, I would stand up and say, hey, I'm Jonathan and I am a sinful guy with a lot of regrets in my past. And you would all say, hi, Jonathan, <laughs> right? We all have this junk in our past poop-stained hearts and lives and we stand before a holy God and we go, if God wanted to use someone, man, he would use someone besides me because I have made a mess of my life. And making it worse in this situation and in ours is that we have this accuser who wants to increase our shame. Back in Zechariah chapter three, you, you see this enemy that just you know, comes alongside and in, into the ear of Joshua and in our ears as well, who wants to limit the impact that God can have in our lives. One of his most powerful weapons is to paralyze us with regret and shame. Here's what it says in verse, here in the beginning of chapter three, Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. Does he still do that today? Oh my goodness, absolutely, right? You think God can forgive you after what you did? Are you kidding me? You knew better. 
You have no excuse for what you did. You saw other people, you did it anyhow. What a joke. You call yourself a Christian? If God wants to use somebody else, he'll certainly find someone else besides you because look at the, the mess you've made of your life. Even if the people around you don't know, you know it and I know it. You're a terrible person. The enemy, the accuser, it says, right? Heaping on the guilt. It happens even today. Even as we have communion a little bit later, you'll hear the voice of the enemy accusing you. Yeah, the bread and the cup. I remember what you did. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, the last book of the Bible, says this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters accuses them before our God. How often? Day and night. Sometimes the guilt that comes is even worse at night when you're not busy with stuff in the day and you go, wow, what was I thinking? If you look in your notes, you'll see it's important for us to distinguish between two kinds of guilt. I want to just make a comment on this because there's legitimate guilt and there's false guilt. Legitimate guilt is when your conscience is uneasy because you know you've done something wrong. You've let loose with the kids if, you're, you know, if you've got kids and you've just gotten way too angry. You lied to a colleague at work. Uh, you've not followed through on a prompting from God. You know, you know you're supposed to do something and you just haven't done it. You've been dishonest with your finances. Maybe you've got a habit in your life, even right now, you know is just wrong. Or like the letter I wrote, uh, read, uh, you, you've broken someone's heart with your choices and, and you've got guilt. When we do something like that, we feel guilty. And there's a legitimate sense of guilt that can act like a warning light on the dashboard of your life going, you gotta, you gotta deal with that. You gotta deal. Sort of like if, 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 you know, if I go to Mary and I go, Mary, I've been having this pain in my chest, this heaviness and this numbness down my arm. What would we do? I go, you gotta get to the ER, Right? And unless I'm a typical guy and I go, I'll just wait like three or four days and see if it goes away, you know? No, you gotta deal with that, right? Uh, and similarly with guilt, when guilt sort of is, in this what God, God always will go to specifics. In fact, there's a line in your notes that says this, our enemy condemns in generalities, the Lord convicts in specifics. If it's the Lord, he's gonna pinpoint an action and go, you know, when you were in that group of a few people, and someone brought up a name about a colleague and you just added and gossiped, you gotta make that right. Or you know when you did this and you broke that promise or you lied, that God convicts in specifics this, the enemy of our souls condemns in generalities. You're just a terrible person. You'll never you know, measure up your... There's legitimate guilt that we go, okay, that's a specific action, event. I need to, I need to God has called me to make that right. There's also false guilt. False guilt is, might be this general sense of feeling shame, like you're just a bad person, or there's an unhealthy acceptance of blame for things that are not your responsibility. Like a seven-year-old who, um, whose parents get divorced, and for years later, she'll say, I, I feel like it was my fault. Like, I, if I could have just been a better child, you know, my parents maybe would have stayed together. That's illegitimate guilt. Or maybe it's a teenager with eating issues who has a healthy meal and they feel guilty they've had too much. You go, no, that's, that's false guilt. Or for some people, I've met adults who feel guilty about something that was done to them as an innocent child, something that should never have been done. And they look back at that through the eyes of their adult self and they think, if I would have just 
done it differently or been, you know, made a different, I want to just tell you today, friends, that is not, that is not, even if you go, it's sort of specific, right? No, there's, there's things that we don't own that's, that are false guilt that aren't our fault, that the responsibility goes to another person. There's a big difference between legitimate guilt and false guilt, which lead to shame. Some have distinguished between the two this way. They say we feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. Guilt can be legitimate. The shame is not God's desire for us. And often it just becomes this profound sense of inadequacy. We we feel horrible about ourselves. I just want to say I'm so grateful. Sometimes this gets so tangled up in our lives. I'm so grateful we have like half a dozen affiliated counselors here at Grace. We have a retreat called Making Peace with Your Past. How do you just deal with some of the deep-seated stuff in your life or things that were done around you that shape who you are today? It's been helpful in my life, and uh, I want to encourage you. If you're dealing with something, you go, I, I don't know how to, that probably in a 30-minute message, we're not going, you, you want to just uncover some things with the counselor or head to that retreat. You'll see more details about that on our website or give us a call. But whatever kind of guilt we carry, whether it's legitimate or false, here's what we can know for sure. Something about the heart of our Heavenly Father, and it's this. The Lord will never convict me, and uh, the Lord, I'm sorry, let me start that over. The Lord will convict me in order to change me, but he'll never condemn me in order to shame me. A number of people have said something like this in different ways, but there's a giant difference between those two lines. The Lord's heart, listen to this, is for you. He wants us to become everything that he designed, intended for us to be. So he'll convict me in order to change me. Go, Jonathan, I don't want that to be a part of your life. Let's deal with that. Let's see that be gone. And so he'll convict, because he wants me to become more and more like Jesus, but he'll never condemn me, you're a terrible person, you're no, in order to shame me. In fact, would you say that aloud with me? Let's say it together. You ready? Those of you online, you join in. We're listening for you. Ready? The Lord will convict me in order to change me but he'll never condemn me in order to shame me, which leads us to the wonder of the gospel. Let's continue on with the story. Your remarkable grace and forgiveness woven all the way through the Bible, the best gift ever offered with the potential to just set us free from whatever stains we have in our souls. What happens here in Zachariah's vision is love this. The Lord's forgiveness like destroys the accusations of the enemy. Joshua is released from you. Look at the picture here in verse four of chapter three. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy poop-stained clothes. That's Jonathan's paraphrase there. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put what? Rich garments on you. Those, friends, those words highlight what is available to you and to me that you and I can either live with, with guilt, and, and with stained clothing as we stand before a holy God and just feel like, yeah, I'm just, I don't think God could ever forgive me. Or we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for the offer that I don't have to live like that, that you can give me a new start and you can cleanse me, that I can be just as holy as Jesus, your son. That's what the Bible says, that we can all be released from guilt and experience a new star. You can hear the Lord say to you, just like he says to Joshua, see, Jonathan, I've taken away your sin and I've given you a clean heart. It's the great exchange we've talked about so many times that God takes all of the F's on my spiritual report card, all the things I've done wrong, 
And he gives all of that to Jesus when Jesus is on the cross. And in exchange, he gives me the straight A report card of Jesus, all of his holiness, his perfect record. And he takes all of my failures in my regrets and, and, and he sets me free. That's what happens when I accept Christ into my life. I love how you read it different ways in the New Testament. Like in Romans chapter eight, it says, therefore there is now what? No condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt is gone. Look at the scripture from Colossians chapter one. Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, the death of Christ, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love those last three words, free from accusation. The enemy's, you know, just chattering away and you're going, you'll never be good enough, you're terrible, you, you did. And Jesus comes and sets you free, free from accusation. Who can experience that? The next line in your notes says this, guilt removal is a gift for all who put their trust in Jesus, the Messiah. Friends, this is not an automatic deal. It's not like Jesus came and therefore we're all forgiven. Guilt is only removed from those who acknowledge God. Here I am standing before you guilty. I've done things in my life that I know that I, I fall way short of what you want. God, I, you see it all. You see the things that I've forgotten about that I've done wrong. And God, I, I need your forgiveness. I want to accept the offer that you give me that if I confess my sin, that means I agree that my spiritual soul is like a poop-stained dress before God. And I say, God, if you'll forgive me, I, I just, I need your cleansing. It says, if you confess your sin like that, he's faithful and just like he can't deny his own character and he will forgive you and cleanse you from every bit of unrighteousness and regret in your life. Zechariah prophesies about that, that Jesus would come and 500 years or so before Jesus shows up on the scene, look at what Zechariah says here in, in verse nine of chapter three. I will remove the sin, the Lord says, of this land in a single day. That, was, that would have been incredible to someone in Zechariah's day. They were used to the blood, the stench of, you know, of daily sacrifices. And so to think of the sins being removed in a single day, they, they were they'd be like, wow, how, how is that gonna happen? It looked forward to a day when a Messiah would be born and when he shows up on the scene, John the Baptist, remember this in John's Gospel chapter one, John looks and he sees Jesus and he goes, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. Like he's gonna remove the sins of all of us in a single day. And when it finally happened on a hill called Calvary, folks knew that something had happened. Like they see you know, the sky goes dark, there's an earthquake, dead people come back to life. I mean, it's, it's the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom, bottom. You read this in Hebrews chapter seven, unlike the other high priests, he, that is Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Once for all, Jesus comes and he dies and in a single day, it's the greatest gift ever given. That all of my guilt, 
all of my spiritual Fs, all of my filthy clothes can be removed and replaced with the holiness of Jesus, the garments of righteousness, the Bible calls them. That when the Father looks at me and looks at you and you've received Jesus, he sees you, listen to this, as just as pure and holy and clean and perfect as Jesus himself. That's the Father's heart for you. Would you say that line with me one more time? You guys want to put that on the screen? Let's say this together. You ready? Let's say it aloud. The Lord will convict me in order to change me, but he'll never condemn me in order to shame me. I resonate with the little guy, Johnny, who went to visit his grandparents at their farm, went for a week, and he and his sister, Sally, and they got there, and Grandma and Grandpa had gifts for each of them, and Johnny got a slingshot, and so they said, you can't use it in the yard, but you can go out to the woods behind the house, and you can use a slingshot there. So Johnny goes out, you know, and he's firing away, and he's just missing everything. He's pretty discouraged. He aims for a tree two feet to the right, looks at the squirrel two feet to the left, and he just can't get it. So he heads back for, you know, dinner, and he's walking back into the yard, and he sees Grandma's pet duck. And just spontaneously, just puts something in here, fires away, and for the first time, he hits the duck right in the head and he kills it. He's horrified. It's like, what do I? So he, he takes the duck and he hides it behind the wood pile so no one can see it, and he looks over and he sees his sister Sally looking at him, but she doesn't say anything. He goes to dinner, he's super nervous. After dinner, Grandma says, hey, Johnny, how about if you take out the garbage and Sally's gonna do the dishes with me? And Sally goes, you know what? Johnny told me he wants to take out the garbage and do the dishes. <laughs> and she looks at him and whispers, remember the duck. <laughs> Next day, Grandpa goes, hey, kids, the afternoon, I wanna take you fishing. We're going fishing. <laughs> Grandma says, you know what? That's great, but I, Sally and I talked about, like, she's gonna stay behind. We're gonna put some dinner on the table and Sally goes, uh, actually, Johnny told me he loves to cook and he wants to stay here and help make dinner and I'll go fishing. Remember the duck. And that went on for like the next couple days until Johnny could stand it no longer and he thought, I, 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 I can't live with this. So he goes to Grandma and he says, Grandma, voice quivering, Grandma, I killed your duck. I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to do it. I, she just reached down and she gave him a big hug and she said, Johnny, I was looking out the window. I saw you kill the duck. I just wonder how long you're gonna let Sally make a slave of you this week. <laughs> I forgive you, Johnny, and I love you and it's over and done with. Friends, I wonder in your life when the enemy comes whispering to you day and night, what things does he bring back up to you from your past that's keeping you enslaved and holding you back from all that God intends for you? What are the things that he's just going, remember the duck? I, I remember. Remember that? And God, your father, is just wanting to tell you today, hey, I was looking out the window, I saw everything you did. 
And if you'll just bring that to me, I will forgive you. It's gone. It's covered by the blood of my son Jesus. And those filthy clothes you're wearing, metaphorically in your soul, let's just take those off and put on something clean. And you're gonna stand before me holy and forgiven. I love you and I've forgiven you. Friends, that's the gospel. According to Zechariah and according to the scriptures all the way through. Some of you just need to come back today and maybe remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you and you say, I know I've been forgiven but I've been listening to the accusations of the enemy. Some of you maybe for the first time, and I've just been praying and I believe there's some of you today, maybe some of you watching online, and you're there in your kitchen or living room or those of you here today and you're going, I, I, you know what? I do feel such guilt and, and shame. I don't even know what's false and what's real, but I know that I need to be forgiven. And maybe it's gonna be for the first time. Maybe it's sort of a, a renewing, but you're going, I, 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 want, I want to stand before God like clean. I'm gonna pray and, and just welcome you. It's prayer in your notes if you wanna follow along there or come back to it later, but I'd like to pray and you're welcome to follow along with me silently. Those of you online, feel free to pray aloud wherever you are, but let's just talk to Jesus and ask him to come and to cleanse us today. That's what he offers to every one of us. Did you pray with me? Dear Lord, I'd like a fresh start on life. I don't want to stay the same there are things in my life that I know need changing. So as much as I know how, Lord, I invite you to take leadership of my life. Thank you for loving me enough to forgive me, sending your son Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, I open up my life to you and invite you to be the manager of my life from this day forward. I want to know you and trust you. Please help me to follow you by the power of your spirit within me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that you, you listen to our prayers and you cleanse us. You make us just as holy as you are because of what you've done. So Lord Jesus, as we come to the table today and remind ourselves of the bread and the cup of what you've done for us, Lord Jesus, would you remind us again that we can be forgiven and set free. We love you today. We honor you in your name. Amen.